a Mexican taco called birria, cocktails named after African-American icons, and to add cinnamon or not to add cinnamon to your sorrel drink. This week, we're in New York City with Michaela Malazzi. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. What's the show about? Well, it's about food and travel. And who doesn't like both those things? This week, the wonderful and charming Michaela Malazzi is back to talk about season five of her TV show, Bare Feet. But first, if you enjoyed listening to Destination Eat Drink, do me a favor, rate and review us on your podcast app and help get the word out to other foodie travelers like yourself. My guest this week is Michaela Malazzi. Michaela hosts the entertaining show, Bare Feet, on PBS, and season five has just debuted. Michaela and I talk about the new season of her show, which she filmed in New York City during the pandemic. Michaela always has great food segments on her program, so we get to talk about some great places in New York City like The Edge and Boulevard Bistro. Plus, we talk about the French dish Soka, which is well represented in New York, the latest taco craze, and Michaela and I talk about the Arapa lady and her son, who's been on this podcast before, and her grandson, who showed Michaela her way around Arapas. Okay, this is making me hungry, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Michaela, welcome back to Destination, Eat, Drink. It's great to have you back on the show again. Congratulations on season five of Bare Feet. Thank you, Brent. It's, it's great to be back. You know, every one of your seasons has a cool theme attached to it. Season five, just coming out. What's the theme this season? Well, it's we're returning back to a New York-based season. So for our season two, we had the idea of traveling the world within the five boroughs. And for this new season five, we couldn't travel. We couldn't get on a plane. We couldn't go internationally. So we thought, why not revisit that idea of traveling the world within the five boroughs again? We have the world at our fingertips, right? Through swiping our Metro card in New York City. And so hmm. that's what we did. And it was unbelievable. We hit 12 new episodes in 12 different cultures that we hadn't done before that we really hadn't done in prior seasons either. And that's the beauty of New York City. I think also at that time, we filmed the summer of 2021. So June through October, it was when vaccines were rolling out, the world was opening up again. And it was this sort of magical time that we knew we wanted to capture this moment in history in our city and in the world of what is it? What is that energy like? What is that going to be like when people can see each other in person again? We're outside, we're sharing these stories together, but also um, we've all been through a lot. So it was this really wonderful, magical, beautiful time that that I feel very honored and privileged that we were able to to capture that. That's what's so great about your show is that it is a celebration. But I want to ask you, Michaela, because. You know, last summer, yeah, vaccines were rolling out, but still pandemic was happening. Pandemic is happening yeah. now. Yeah. And when you when you do your show, everything's in very close proximity. Mm -hmm. How do you handle the logistics of filming a show like Bare Feet during a pandemic? 
it's a, it's a miracle that we were able to, to I keep thinking <laughs> back on this. Like it's a miracle. We, we filmed a travel show in the middle of a pandemic. So the first six weeks of filming, it was this sort of magical moment of everybody felt like we were coming out of it. This was going to be, it was before Delta, before the Om- Omicron variant, before any of the variants. And so there was this sort of six week period of, oh my gosh, we can touch each other. And we were, most of the filming was outside. And you'll see in our series, we're wearing masks. I'm filming with kids. So anytime we were filming with kids, I had to wear a mask. Anytime we were indoors, I was wearing a mask. But the rules and regulations and mandates kept changing. It was very um, uncertain. And it still is, right? You know, As we're doing this interview now, mask mandates are sort of coming back again in some states. Um, so we just had a roll with the punches. Knock on wood, none of us got uh, COVID while we were filming, but we had a very strict regimen of getting tested every single week. Um, we had to make sure that all of the people we were filming with, especially indoors, were all vaccinated. You know, outside was a little more liberal with, and we had a little more leeway with filming because it was open air. But that was the beauty of it at that time because the city of New York had this program called Open Culture, Open Streets. And what they did was they started an initiative to bring spaces, performance spaces and theaters into actual streets. So they blocked off hundreds of streets throughout the five boroughs to make into performance spaces. And then that whole um, initiative of bringing restaurants outside into those outdoor spaces. So it really was easier than we thought it was going to be. Obviously, we ran into a lot of hiccups. Um, We had a not only mask mandates and, and COVID regulations, but then when the weather hit in August, it was a ton of rain in New York. So we had a lot of events canceled or rescheduled. And then the Delta variant came back. So a lot of events were rescheduled or going virtually. So we had to be very nimble. Um, to say it was stressful is an understatement. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but but again, I felt very lucky that we were doing it. So I, I, I'm really... You know, we started June 1st. And I think I I had this feeling like if we don't start now, it won't get done. So I'm we really front loaded it. I think I was in in hindsight, it was like a a blessing that I was like very um I basically like we were filming three segments a day almost. I mean, it was a lot of work. That's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And you know, my crew and I were just like so exhausted, but at the same time, we were so fulfilled by all of these stories we were capturing. And I'm glad we did because by the end of the film shoot, there were the the Delta variant was coming through, and things just started to really shut down very quickly. But we, you know, we all wore masks again inside. So you'll, you know, it's this is the sign of the times. Masks aren't going anywhere anytime soon. People still need to be wearing them, whether they don't feel comfortable being unmasked or because of health issues. So it's really. I don't mind that we have masks on camera. That's just how life is today. So we embrace that. And the beautiful thing is those stories of connection through dance and music weren't diluted because of it, right? It actually was a stronger message of we need the arts. We need to connect with people in person. We need to feel that connection through dance and music even more so than before. To We need to, to break bread and sit at a table together and eat and somehow find a way to do that safely. So we go outside and we do that or, you know, so that's the message of this new season of, you know, Bare Feet has always been about the arts are essential. That's always been our message. But even more so today, we realize to have a sane for our mental health, for our physical health, for our community's health, 
you need to share the arts. You need to have that community, that sense of community. Um, and that's what we tried to, to show. And, and I'm so proud of this new season. I think it's our best yet. Um, and I just love my city. You know, it's, it's a love letter to New York. It really, really is. One of the things that I really love about Bare Feet is you showing not just the final result of the dances that you do, but the learning and rehearsal process. And you're not afraid to show the mistakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when we see a, a dance, perfor- we go to a performance of some kind, right. we see the end result probably near perfection, but it takes weeks and months to get there. And I love how you just dive in. And by the end of it, you're like, boom, 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 let's do it. One, two, three, here we go. That's it. But that's the fun part for me. You know, if, if I just showed, we're not a performance show, right? This isn't Mm -hmm. the, a show where I go around and find these amazing groups, which it could be, you know, bare feet could be a totally different show where I would just go around and see other people perform and we show their performance. To me, that's that's not fun because I want to show what goes into making this beautiful, but also why. Why do these people do these dances? I want to feel these rhythms. For me, just like you taste all of these beautiful places through flavor, I am tasting these cultures through the movements, through the rhythms, and I can feel each place quote unquote place or culture through its rhythm. Um, and to me, that's that's the fun part. It's the mistakes and the learning where you build those connections with people. If you're yes. going to a place and cooking with someone, you're in Portugal, right? Yes. You're, you're, you're cooking with someone. You build a better relationship than just sitting with them and having them present a meal to you. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. There is a completely different connection. And that's the same with bare feet. We are showing that process of creating that meal it per se, right? We are creating that. What, what does that flavor feel like? You know, how do, how do I change the heat on this dish? And it's really about the, the heat of the, of the movement. And it, and for me, that's where you build friendship. That's where you build connection. That's where you break down that barrier. And then all of a sudden these people, immediate friendships are made. You can see it. You can see it in real time in our show. Like, we're smiling, we're sweating, we're dancing together. I don't know these people from Adam. I just met them, you know, maybe five minutes before that. And we are immediate friends. And and I think that's that's why we show that. That's why I love to show when I fall over and mess up, because that's the fun part. That's the fun, <laughs> the fun part. And you said it earlier, you know, dance is culture and food is culture. And mm-hmm. you know, for people who haven't seen Bare Feet, I don't want to give the impression that it's all about dance because you you do other things in the show and one yeah. of the the reasons I love it too is the food that you you know yeah. you always have a couple of food segments in every show and you know New York is a place where I've been before but these places where you were showing us were just uh, fantastic in this in the season and I'd like to talk about a few of them if we could yeah I would love to let's start in Harlem um, because you went to a place mm-hmm. called the Edge. And there's yeah. a sorrel drink there. Now, I know what sorrel yeah. is. It's an herb. It's kind of like spinach, but it's, you know, sharper, if that's a good mm-hmm. word to describe it. And I've had <laughs> sorrel in salads and in soups. Never in a drink, though. Uh, can you describe the sorrel drink for me a little bit? Yeah, I think the sorrel is also, there's hibiscus in it. It's a it's a very um, bright floral drink. Um, and I think traditionally it's, it's, there, it's made around Christmas time. Um, and it's this delicious, sweet, um, you know, some people put cinnamon, some people don't put cinnamon. Mm. That's a, 
point of contention in the Caribbean, but it is, <laughs> good, good. it is, you know, a Caribbean, mainly Jamaican drink, um, but it's delicious. It's beautiful. And these two sisters um, who are co-owners of, of the edge, their father makes the sorrel um, every week and he delivers it to them. So um, it's just, it's just really wonderful. Uh, Justine and Juliet, um, that are the own masters that are owners of the, um, of the edge. It's this quaint little sort of like, um, not underground cause it's, it's in the lower level of the building, but it's, you feel like you're in someone's home or in someone's living room. And the, the building is super historical, like Langston Hughes used to frequent there. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah, so it's a really beautiful brick, warm, place that that features Jamaican inspired food mixed with British and New York and Harlem. They're from New York City, they're locals. Um, and their father's part of this. It's just like a beautiful family story. And the food is delicious. You know, that's the main part is, is right. the story is great, but the food is unbelievable. Um, and it's so funny after we filmed there, we were back in Harlem a couple of times and we kept going back to the edge to go have lunch every time we were in the area because we just loved, and they're like, you're back. And you guys like, are yeah, back we, again. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was so great. And I think that's what people don't realize is um, I'm picking up the phone and calling all these folks because I want to feature them for a specific reason, whether they're recommended or um, I think their story is interesting, but also because their food is wonderful. And then I frequent those places, you know, it's not just someone pitching us to say, Hey, we have a new restaurant. It's more of, these are people of the community, especially in this season. These communities have survived the pandemic. Restaurants were the hardest hit throughout the United States and the world for small businesses. So we really wanted to shine a light on uh, small business owners that were pivoting, that were finding a way to, to stay alive and to, to help keep supporting their community through food. Another place in Harlem was... Uh... Boulevard Bistro. Yeah. I was really taken by this because they have the drinks that are named after iconic black artists like Nina Simone yeah. and James Baldwin yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, tell me about that place too. To preface this, Evita Robinson, who's um, the founder of Nomadness Travel Tribe, you know, I reached out to her and said, I'd love for you to be my my guide in Harlem. And she's the one who recommended all these spots. And when I reached out to them and said, look, Evie's she says, you're wonderful. So I have to give props to Evie. Um, she is like such an incredible, incredible storyteller and traveler and guide to anything and the black culture, an incredible voice. So big shout out to Evie, but she recommended Boulevard Bistro and the edge. Um, but Boulevard Bistro, their drinks are unbelievable. My favorite was the Nina Simone. I think mm. I, we feature that in the episode yeah, where it's yeah. this floral drink with flowers in it. Um, yeah. So they have the Nina Simone, they have the Baldwin, um, they had a Frosé, they brought so much food, but what they're known for are the biscuits. And they have this really wonderful sign that says biscuits all day. And it was just this wonderful, um, really like vibrant, place right on the corner, uh, in, in Harlem and it is soul food. Um, but with like a Harlem twist to it. And it was, he was chef Carlos Swepson was telling us that, you know, he would have the biscuits as sort of a starter so that people could wait while they're making all this food because they're oh. making it fresh. And all of a sudden the biscuits became 
the spotlight. That's what they became known for. And so yeah, instead yeah. of it being sort of a, a background piece, it was the centerpiece. And that's it. And they're unbelievable. The biscuits are unbelievable, but the rest of the food's unbelievable. The drinks are wonderful. So it was, it's a really amazing spot. Um, Harlem is, is an, a wonderful neighborhood um, that celebrates black, black culture. And that's why we decided to feature it in our black voices episode specifically. But, um, this, this restaurant in particular, I mean, it really pays homage to all of the black voices in Harlem specifically. Um, but also, you know, in black culture, it's just wonderful to be able to support these communities to support the small businesses, but the food's great. The drink's great. If you like to drink (laughs) and you want to sit at the bar and watch them make beautiful cocktails, if you're that type of person, this is where you go. This is where you go. I think I'd love it. Yeah. When, when you went to uh, Jackson Heights, I I was getting really Mm -hmm. excited because, um, I was like, Oh, I hope she has the Arapa lady on because Mm -hmm. her son, E. Schneider, Mm-hmm. Uh, was on my podcast about oh, know, about a year ago, and he is like a 21st century Renaissance man. He's a total foodie. Yeah. He does food tour yeah. guides. He's also um, a punk rocker. You know, he's got bands yeah. and stuff like that. Really cool guy. It was great to talk to him, and he told me the story of the Arapa lady and how you know she came and took over the city. Had an article in the New York Times back in the 80s and yeah. just took over the city. Talk about the Arapa lady and talk about her Arapas. Yeah. So the Arepa lady is this, we actually didn't get to meet her. She's like, she's, she was in Colombia at the time, chilling. Um, (laughs) We met with her grandson. So it was wonderful. Yeah. And he, um, you know, they're expanding. They're opening two more locations at the time that we met with them. They hadn't opened yet, but they were building them out. I mean, that's amazing to be opening more locations of a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic. That is something to be said. Um, incredible food. You know, she started as a selling arepas on the street in Jackson Heights to her community. It was just a food cart, basically. Yep. And it's just grown into this amazing movement. And the arepas are incredible. They're when I say you go, you need to go there hungry. You need to go there hungry because they're <laughs> filling. There's a lot of queso in the arepas, depending on what type of arepa you get. They also had chicharron. They just, we, we ate so well. And I always have to remember because we we tend to do the food segments together. Like if we're exploring a neighborhood, we'll go to three different spots. Usually it's like the rule of three. Two of those are usually food. For this particular segment, we did all three were food because we were doing sort of a walking food tour through Jackson Heights. And I need to remember like I can't eat that much food in <laughs> in one afternoon. Um it's a lot of food. It's a lot of food. Um, but yeah, the Repa Lady, it's a small little little restaurant in Jackson in Jackson Heights. And again, they're opening a few more. I think one in Astoria. I think they mentioned, I, I can't remember where the other one is gonna be, but um yeah, it was just wonderful. And then the other um spots we feature was Birialandia. I don't know if you know what Birialandia is. I w- you know, I was gonna ask you about this. This is a Mexican, a type of Mexican taco, but I don't know what it I don't think I've ever had it. So tell me about it, Michaela. Yeah. So uh, it's a food truck. And when I tell you a line down the block starts like half an hour before this truck's open and they have a few other locations as well. I think they just open a location or have a truck in the Bronx. They definitely have one in Brooklyn, in Williamsburg. There's one in Jackson Heights. Birialandia is, well, Biria is the taco that you dip into like a, 
a consomme into a stew. And so you get this little cup of stew and you get your taco and how you eat it is you dunk it in and just soak up this amazing broth. Um, And Jose, who's the owner, the chef, he actually, he's a trained chef and had worked in so many restaurants and wanted to finally open his own business. I think he went back to California or Mexico um, to, to, and saw this craze of birria and he brought it to New York and he is he can safely claim that he really brought that craze to New York city. Now you'll see Birria trucks everywhere. And Birria Landia is like, he said he wanted it to be like Disneyland, Disneylandia, you know, so Birria Landia <laughs> and it really is. And they only serve four things on the menu. That's it. You can only order four things on the menu and that's all you need. They're just so delicious. So the, 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 the um, uh, tortillas, they're like crispy. They, they put them on the grill. The tacos are beautiful. The, the birria, the, the consomme is, it's gorgeous. Um, and again, there's a line around the block. It doesn't matter what day it is what the weather is. Um, and, and when we were filming, we got to cut the line, obviously, and everyone was not happy with us, but <laughs> you know, we're, we're doing this interview. Yeah. 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 But luckily we have our cameras. So they're like, right. okay, I guess she, she gets a pass, but um, we had to be quick because, you know, this is a business. We don't want to get in any of their way. Uh, but it was just delicious. Absolutely delicious. Well, this brings up a question because you said, you know, I have to remember, I can't eat, you know, we're going to go to three different places. I can't eat all of this stuff. So mm-hmm. from a standpoint of filming, what's mm-hmm. your usual process, Michaela? Do you eat first and then dance or do you dance first and then reward yourself by eating? How, how do you handle it? Do you have a night? Do you it have doesn't, a process? <laughs> it, no, it's really what is our schedule for the day? You know, who's available when they're available? That's how we, that's how we schedule our shoots. So if I have to eat for three hours and then go dancing <laughs> an hour later, that's a hard day because uh, usually after I eat, I want to take a nap. Right. So that, you know, that it, it's just the nature of how do we, how do we fit it in the schedule so that a, we can accommodate the people who are trying to feature because that's, what's the most important to us. And then B it's, are we getting the stories we need to get the weather? You know, if we're filming with food trucks, it's really difficult if it's raining. Um, it's really difficult if it's a windy day. So th- there's so many things you have to consider when we're filming, but the the most important thing is, are we getting, are we, are we al- giving a platform for these people to tell their stories? I'm here to just let them share their story with me. I'm not the expert. And I think I've, I've told you this before. I'm never the expert not even in dance. I'm not the expert. I am the perpetual student who is more than willing to try any style of dance and music. I don't care if I crazy while I'm doing it, or if I totally mess up, that's fine. But if I can give a platform for these people to tell why these dances are important to them, what it means to them and their culture, what it, what it signifies, what it represents. And, um, just letting them share what they want to share with the world about their cultures. Because some people, a lot of people, especially here in the United States, we have a lot of misconceptions about a lot of cultures. And especially for this season, we really focused on BIPOC communities. We thought, who are the communities that are underrepresented and underserved in the media? And let's give them the most prominent voices for this season. And that's what we did. We have disabled dancers. We have our season premieres called Black Voices, you know, um, we're featuring the Garifana people, which is a, a basically unknown group of 250,000 
people in the Bronx that uh, claim Garifuna roots, which is uh, Caribbean and Central American. So, you know, that was our mission. It wasn't just where can we find some fun things to do? It's we have a purpose. And I think with this season, especially after everything we've been through over the past two and a half years, we can't just ignore it. The world isn't the same. We can't go back to business as usual. That's just never going to happen. And as a storyteller, it's our responsibility, my responsibility to not pretend that things, the world hasn't changed, you know? So um, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with having access to film with people, having the privilege of being able to show up two cameras and have the, the the cameras be rolling and and be in front of it. You know, that, that, that's a, that's a huge privilege and a a huge responsibility that I take very seriously. Michaela, let's move on to France or at least uh, French food in Hell's Kitchen in Mm -hmm. Manhattan. You visited uh, Marseille and Niza. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Tell me about this. I, I love French food. Don't know that I've been to a French restaurant in New York, although I, I, I probably shouldn't admit that because there's great food <laughs> in New York. But anyway, tell me about uh, Marseille and, and Niza. We chose Marseille and Niza because we heard a story that this there's sister restaurants. Marseille is French food. Niza actually means Nice, the, the city of Nice in French, excuse me, in Italian, because uh, it's right over the border. Right on the border. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, Nizza has a, a huge uh, French influence and Italian influence on the food. So um, it's an Italian restaurant with a, a little bit of a French Riviera twist. Um, and the reason why we chose those specific restaurants was for our reopening of stages, uh, open stages episode, which was basically spotlighting the Broadway community, the theater community, the future of what um, performance and theater looks like in New York City since at the time that we were filming, Broadway had been closed for over 500 days. I mean, that is unbelievable. Who wow. would have ever thought that was going to happen? Yeah, no one. Um, yeah. So we really wanted to focus on the performing arts community specifically of what's happening. And we heard the story of this restaurant tour. This restaurant's in Hell's, Hell's Kitchen, which is bordering Times Square. It's where a lot of the theater community lives. And during the pandemic, during lockdown for almost for about a year, um, they decided they had been in the neighborhood coming up to 20 years and the theater community had supported them so much that they wanted to give back. So they started a program where they, for all union members and uh, union performers on Broadway and theater, they were given open house accounts and so they could eat for free Um, and they would they would open house accounts and anyone who would show their card could eat after eight o'clock, whatever they wanted. They would start a house account. And eventually if they started working again, they could pay them back or they didn't have to, depending on if they ever got their jobs back. So that's why we focused on these two restaurants and the food was wonderful as well. We had a beef bourguignon and a a puff mushroom puff pastry at at Marseille, which were delicious. And um, the owner, Robert Gorino, he said his chef had just gotten back from France and sort of tweaked the recipe. So he was trying it again with this new recipe. And it was just so tender. The beef bourguignon was just, it just melted in my mouth. Um, so that, and it's a very typical French bistro looking spot, wonderful sort of Belle Epoque era, you know. Mm. Um, and then right next door or two doors down is Nizza. Um, a little more modern looking, 
very clean, you know, design. And it had this thing called soca, which I've never had. Um, and you know, Italian food is very regional. Um, and so it's this sort of pancake made out of chickpea flour and it's apparent it's gluten-free. And he said, we didn't even intend for that, but it's gluten-free. So it's become like a a favorite for people who are gluten-free, but it's, it's a chickpea pancake with onion and sage and it's delicious. And they have homemade pasta. So we had homemade uh, rigatoni with um, amichitrana. Oh my gosh. I never can say that right. (laughs) Amitrichana sauce which is like guanciale, the cheek and and red tomato sauce. It's a Roman dish. So delicious, two very different styles of food. Um, but we thought what an amazing story and what an incredible way to give back to the Broadway community because, you know, restaurants were hit hard too. So it was, it was wonderful to see that they were supporting each other. I was, I was so glad to see that uh, you featured the Soka because I'll, I'll tell you, my brother is a filmmaker and he made a mm. documentary short about Soka in Nice. Wow. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And he was, you know, we, he had him on, I had him on the podcast and we talked about it and the, you know, the soca is a, is a beautiful dish in Nice. And then I wasn't familiar with the soca either. I was familiar with the Italian version because like you said, Nice is like right on the border. You can take mm-hmm. the train and you're in Italy in half an hour or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I was familiar with the Italian version, which I think is called Farinata which is very similar made with chickpeas and and the whole and the whole deal but I hadn't had the soca before but now that I know about it and in fact as I'm as I'm speaking to you my brother's back in Nice right now um, getting oh, ready wow. to uh, and he's going to come visit us in Portugal but anyway I'm looking forward to hearing more about uh, soca <laughs> and his visits there to like Chez Therese and places like that in Nice because yeah, and- you can get it everywhere in Nice it's so cool well, that's what they said. That's what Robert said. He said, it's like a street food. You get it. You know, they just put it in like a, a they wrap it up and you walk and eat with it. And so here they sort of made it this refined dish, you know, but it's street food. I love it. It's all street food, right? All this, the Ripa Lady, Birialandia, all this street food is just amazing. Amazing. Michaela, before we let you go, um, again, congratulations on season five. What are you Thank thinking you. before we, you know, before we go, what are you thinking for season six? Have you even gotten to that point of thinking of season six? I'm always thinking ahead. You know, <laughs> it's like, what what can we do next? I mean, we're still delivering to PBS as we speak. So we're I'm still in the thick of, of edits, but um, we don't know when we're going to be able to travel internationally anytime soon, to be honest, because of the inequality in in vaccination rollouts and vaccines throughout the world. Um, So we're hoping to do bare feet across the United States. And we intend to continue our relationship with public television. I love being part of the PBS family, but we do have some other opportunities that I can't quite reveal yet Fair enough um, for other distribution, but we are definitely planning for um, bare feet across the United States because we have so much amazing dance and music traditions right here in our own country that um, we want to highlight that. Well, someday we're going to have you in Portugal and yes. and we're going to go and we're going to get a pastel de nada and uh, coffee and maybe some maybe some wine and uh, and then we can do a bare feet in uh, Portugal. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I'm ready. I'm always ready. I'm always ready. Thanks so much, Mikel. It's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you. Obrigado. Obrigado. Oh, obrigado. <laughs> okay, there you go. You know, the reason I love having Michaela on the show is not only because her show Bare Feet is great, because it is. I love watching it. But 
she and I both believe that culture is a living expression. It's not just paintings in a museum or books in a library. Those things are important, though. Um, Food culture and dance culture, those things are also equally important. So really, I could talk with Michaela about that forever. Season five of Bare Feet with Michaela Malazzi is now on PBS. Check your local listings for times. I've also got a link to Michaela's show and her website in the show notes at radiomisfits.com slash DED 197. 197. We've almost done 200 episodes of this show. And I've got links to Michaela's other appearances on the show. She's been on several times. Um, I've got those in the show notes. Remember, every episode of Destination Eat Drink is archived and available to listen to for free at radiomisfits.com. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we're back in New York City foraging for wild plants right there in Central Park, picking plants that you can eat and enjoy and are delicious. Until then, head over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I just posted a story about a Hungarian dish called langos. Believe me, after one of these, you will need a breath mint. Get that story at DestinationEatDrink.com slash blog. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and principal dancer in the Chicago Dance Troupe's performance of a brand new production of Pizza, A Love Story, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.